Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. I'm Dallas Taylor. Are we ready to go? I'm ready. <laughs> and you're, you have the big red light going? Yeah, it's going, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Recently, I sat down with producer Amelia Tate. Okay, so we're here to talk about industrial musicals today, Dallas. Okay, uh, interesting. In fact, before I even explain what an industrial musical really is, I'd like to set a scene, if you wouldn't mind. I'd love for you to imagine that you're a salesman and it's 1972 and you work for Lipton Teas. <laughs> okay. Are you in the mindset? 72, big hair. The color of the world is a little bit more just like brown. And uh, I am selling tea. And it's not going that well. You know, it's a hard gig. Your competitors are muscling in on your territory. So you go to the company's annual sales show. And then you hear this. I mean, you're motivated, right? I'm motivated, yeah. Yeah, you want to sell tea. I mean, it's a hard job selling Lipton tea. So, in a nutshell, an industrial musical is a performance put on by a corporation for a purely private audience of employees. We are talking full-on musical theatre with sets and costumes and singing and dancing and most importantly, original lyrics about the company, its products and its workers. Here's a song called Making Profits by York Air Conditioners. Liability. Working capital. Profit Gross and net, making profits with good finance, you bet. These glitzy productions started in the 1950s. With the new Ford tractors, the future's looking fine. Now's the time to roll your sleeves up, cause if you rise and shine... And they continued to be popular through the mid-80s. And it was designed essentially to kind of motivate people and move them and sometimes teach you a few selling tricks as well. This is a wild, wild world. Yeah. I mean, it goes so deep. So yes, I've got another little motivational ditty in the queue here for you, which is the 1963 song Xerox the Name by, you know, Xerox the Copying Company. Are we back at a convention center, I guess? We're still in the convention center. Yeah. Okay. This women kicking their legs high with red lipstick motivating wow. motivating you <laughs> although i think this one sounds a little bit more like birds should be singing it in a disney movie like it's a little bit more sweet we're getting dizzy 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 being busy 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 at the xerox company there's a crisis here a minute but we're happy to be in it at the xerox company 
feel like it would be more shocking than anything, you know, the hard life of a tea <laughs> salesman. Yeah. And you're just like, whoa, um, it'd be awesome if you give me like a three cent raise, but it's cool that you put on this very expensive production. Right. <laughs> I mean, that is the thing about these and why they're such a fascinating bit of history is that a lot of them were really big budget, bigger budget than actual Broadway musicals. Wow. And it's just like for one performance. One performance, yes. You come home and you're going to be like, they put on a full-on Broadway musical at the company meeting and everyone being like, no, they didn't. You're exaggerating. (laughs) No, they did. And they like have to take that to their grave. But while some employees might have faced skepticism from their friends and family, others went home with proof. A souvenir record with all the songs they'd heard that night. These albums were never intended to be sold to the public. But over the decades, they found their way into garage sales and secondhand stores. And eventually, people started to find them. Or at least one person did. I have a very strange record collection, which consists of records I was never supposed to own or listen to. That's Steve Young, a comedy writer and collector. There are musicals about selling and servicing diesel engines, the triumphs and tragedies of being a Coca-Cola bottler, the exciting year ahead for the marketing department at a sunscreen company or a kid's sneakers. Steve has been collecting these records for over 25 years, and today he's pretty much the leading expert on the genre. The full-fledged industrial musical seems to have come up in post-war America By the early 50s, you had Broadway musicals like South Pacific and Oklahoma that were enormous, popular, mainstream, middle-class entertainments. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. And gradually, some people in the big corporations realized, you know, we could just borrow this entire form for our own purposes. This is going to be a great motivational, educational, entertainment element for our conventions. And our folks are going to be blown away by getting into the convention hall and seeing a musical about their lives and their work. And they're going to be so fired up to go out and sell, sell, sell. Who else but Whirlpool? I think what I'm struggling to get my head around is what the plots were. Some industrial shows were reviews and you had just strings of songs and stagecraft to highlight different points. For instance, a refrigerator company might make a song to help their salesmen remember the most important selling points. They've got features to talk about. Features you should all remember. Magnetic doors, revolving shelves, convenient things that sell themselves. But the most ambitious of these did go down the road of let's make a full book musical with a character and a plot. And oftentimes it was something about a McDonald's manager or an American Motors dealer who had kind of fallen into a slump and was gloomy. I manage a Kinney shoe store. I do it every day. 
And then something would happen, whether it was a sort of Dickensian ghosts of the past, present and future to show how great the coming products were going to be in the marketing or some other jump start to make the main character and by extension, everyone in the audience feel, wow, I think I've got my mojo back. Kenny manager's life is one of action And with each sale there comes a satisfaction So despite the madness we must face each day Being right on target is the only way So it might be hard to pick, but do you have an all-time favorite song then? Oh boy, yeah, that's hard. Like, oh, which of your children do you love the most? Well, <laughs> anything from Diesel Dazzle is pretty great. The other one that you always have to mention is the crown jewel, just in terms of conceptual craziness as well as quality. American Standard, the plumbing fixture company put out a musical in 1969 to get the plumbing fixture distributors fired up about bathroom remodeling. And it's called The Bathrooms Are Coming. And the song that I call the gateway drug of this whole genre is called My Bathroom. Oh. Yeah. So here we go. This is My Bathroom from 1969's The Bathrooms Are Coming. My bathroom. <laughs> My bathroom. This is, this is amazing. It is a private kind of place. Sh- sure is. Very special <laughs> kind of place. It's a woman just singing this confessional song about how the bathroom is where she can be herself and feels free and feels at peace in a troubled world. So can you tell me a little bit about how you did first hear these and how you first got into collecting industrial musicals? I was a writer for Late Night and then Late Show with David Letterman. From New York, the greatest city in the world, it's The Late Show with David Letterman. And one of the bits on the show was called Dave's Record Collection, in which Dave Letterman would hold up real, unintentionally funny record albums And we'd hear a sample, he'd have a snarky remark. Ronald McDonald visits America. Let's listen to a little bit of this. Ronald McDonald. Hi there. I'm Ronald McDonald. And you and I are about to discover America together. We'll visit all the states and travel thousands of miles. And and then we'll find out what a clown smells like after six days in a van. At the time, part of Steve's job involved going to record stores and thrift shops to look for more weird records to play on the show. And digging through those dusty record bins, he came across something strange. I began coming back from my hunting expeditions with these mysterious corporate souvenir records. And I just thought, this is comedy gold before we've even heard one second of the audio. But once he did start listening, it felt like he had discovered a secret 
portal to another dimension. It was this quirky chapter of American history that no one seemed to know about or remember. On top of that, the songs were often surprisingly good. You would think they would just be sad and ridiculous, and some of them were not so great, but a few of them really got my attention because of the production value and the talent and just the catchiness of the songs. My insurance man. Is that what they call you? My insurance man. Is that what they say? Are you sure that you're recognized as the man who's organized to make the most of every single day? Soon enough, Steve was hunting down these records everywhere he could. I started going to record shows, networking with other record collectors and dealers. And it was very, very slow because almost no one knew that these records existed. But that scarcity just made these albums even more enticing. So Steve kept tracking them down. Today, he has over 200 of them. This is my absolute favorite one, the one I want to play you next. I asked Steve what he thought was the weirdest one. And he told me about B.F. Goodrich, the tire dealership's 1979 industrial musical, which is called The Great Life. I'm just going to say it because it's so amazingly dumb. A tire dealer makes a deal with the devil. Oh. <laughs> and he's going to lose his soul and his tire dealership if he doesn't sell enough tires in a month. That is dark. It's dark, right? Oh, time's running out. To sell tires. <laughs> He's got tires to sell. Oh gosh. He's got tires to sell. If he doesn't sell them, the tires to sell. That's terrifying. Yeah. Tires to sell. Five, ten, fifty, twenty tires to sell. Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty tires to sell. That is really putting the fear of God in these people to sell tires. I mean, it's interesting because this is 1979. So maybe, you know, we've had about 20 years of industrial musicals by this point. Maybe they're like, the happy clappy stuff didn't work. Let's go straight for the, for the <laughs> threats like, of look, hell. We need to sell tires. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Threaten their eternal damnation. Note, the BF Goodrich Company has never explicitly threatened employees with eternal damnation for not selling enough tires. There's a job I've got to do if I'm going to hold my own. Got to sell a load of tires, got to hit the road for home. I've made a crazy deal and it's really been a thrill. But the piper will be paid and it's not your average bill. Sometimes the salesman's wives were also invited into the audience, which did mean that some of the songs were actually kind of geared towards them. I bet this is going to be culturally dated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little. So here is... An Exxon dealer's wife from 1979. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she is. It's true. Steve started his record collection because he found songs like this hilarious. But as he delved deeper and deeper into this world, he realised that there was a lot more to it than he expected. First, Steve co-wrote a book about industrial musicals. Then, filmmaker Dava Wisenant made a documentary about them, with Steve as the main subject. These projects brought Steve into contact with the people behind this music, and hearing their stories changed everything. 
What started as just a snarky, can you believe this is for real, morphed over time. I started tracking down writers and performers who'd done these shows, and I learned about their lives. After the break, Steve meets his industrial musical heroes. Why should you learn another language with Babbel? Well, there are a ton of reasons, but let's see how many I can fit into 60 seconds. First, Babbel works fast. You can start having conversations in another language in as little as three weeks. Next, it makes overseas vacations more fun and less stressful. I used it all the time on my last trip to Italy. If you work with foreign collaborators, Babbel can help you deepen those relationships. It's a fun thing to do when you need a break, and it's way better than doom scrolling. Babbel teaches you about other cultures. Speaking for myself, learning something new just makes me feel good. It's very affordable. And finally, signing up for Babbel helps support 20,000 Hertz. Okay, make that eight reasons, or otto ragioni, as they'd say in Italian. To get started on a new language today, here's a special limited time deal for 20,000 Hertz listeners. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription right now at babbel.com slash 20k. This offer is only available for our listeners. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 20k for 55% off. Babbel.com slash 20k. Rules and restrictions may apply. Congratulations to Luna Spivey for getting last episode's mystery sound right. That's the language spoken by the aliens in the film Arrival. To create these sounds, the sound designers went to the mountains of New Zealand and recorded a variety of exotic birds. Then they pitched these bird calls down and combined them with recordings of didgeridoos, bagpipes, and a so-called lung that they made from rice paper. And here's this episode's mystery sound. And here it is again. If you know that sound, submit your guess at the web address mystery.20k.org. There's also a link in the show notes. Anyone who guesses it right will be entered to win one of our super soft 20k t-shirts. NetSuite has simple solutions for complicated business problems. For example, let's say you open a bakery. Before long, your hotcakes are selling like, well, hotcakes. But you keep running out of ingredients. No problem, because not only can NetSuite automate your purchasing so you're never out of stock, but it can also check that your staff have the right training to make those hotcakes to perfection. NetSuite can even handle online orders so your hotcakes can really take off. Having one system handling all of this saves both time and money. And if there's two things we all want more of, it's time and money. Okay, so three things if you include hotcakes. That's probably why more than 37,000 businesses have already signed up for NetSuite by Oracle. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash 20k now to take advantage of this offer. That's netsuite.com slash 20k. netsuite.com slash 20k. For more than 25 years, Steve Young has been hunting down recordings of industrial musicals. And as his collection grew, he decided he wanted to share it with the world. 
So in 2013, Steve co-wrote a book called Everything's Coming Up Profits, The Golden Age of Industrial Musicals. Along with the book, he compiled three collections of these songs and put them online. A few years later, filmmaker Dava Wisenant made a documentary called Bathtubs Over Broadway about Steve's journey with this music. The film even features original industrial musical-esque song and dance numbers. A hidden world of showbiz, sequins and CEOs, profits and sales with top hats and tails, corporate music, corporate musical shows. Through the documentary, Steve finally got to meet the people who made the music that he'd been listening to for decades. For instance, he met composers like Hank Beebe and Sid Siegel, who worked on a bunch of these shows. Sid wrote the industrial musical gateway drug, My Bathroom. And here's a song that Hank wrote for a General Electric production called Gotta Investigate Silicones. I heard them say that silicones provide protection from the heat and in practically the same breath. I heard them say that silicones provide protection from the cold. For Steve, meeting the guy who wrote the silicone song was like meeting a rock star. I worked at the Letterman show for 25 years and there were famous people coming on the show every day. I generally didn't go out of my way to try to meet them, even though I might have liked their work. But boy, was I excited when I finally got to meet Sid Siegel or Hank Beebe, people who I felt were maybe not well-known in the world or not known at all, but I knew their work and I wanted to hear more about their stories. But for these artists, Steve's enthusiasm came as a bit of a surprise. When I would track someone down, there was confusion. How can you possibly know about the diesel engine show or the standard oil show or whatever? They were so sure that no one in the outside world would ever hear about this or talk about it. Here's composer Hank Beebe in the documentary. They were never publicized. There was no advertising. There were no tickets sold or anything like that. It was like we were CIA agents. There was also worry because I was the comedy writer from the late night TV show. Oh no, are we about to be made fun of? Are we being set up somehow to be mocked? But Steve didn't want to mock these artists. He wanted to celebrate their work and learn what inspired them to do it. Here's a clip from the film of actress Pat Stanton Jonola, the singer of My Bathroom, along with co-star Sandy Freeman. I think we knew that we weren't going to become stars doing this, you know. Right. But it was just a wonderful way to pay the rent and to, to continue do what doing love. what yeah. we loved. There are so many that said, we only had one setting use all our talent and make it as great as it can be, even if it's a lawnmower show that's going to be heard once at 8 a.m. in a hotel ballroom, because that's just the reason they got into this world of work was because they enjoyed making things great. Some industrial musical composers actually went on to become quite famous. Sheldon Harnick and Jerry Bock wrote Ford's 1959 musical, Fortify Your Future. Go fast, go slow, you'll be shifting on the go. Here is any speed for any need. 
A few years later, these same composers went on to write songs for Fiddler on the Roof. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find, catch me a catch. But most of these composers never found mainstream success or appreciation. When the documentary came out, Hank Beebe said, when I used to do industrial shows in New York, I was called the king of the industrial shows and it was meant as an insult because it was seen as not legitimate work and certainly not worthy of the respect of the Broadway world. These artists might have been ignored or even mocked by their mainstream peers, but when their work was heard by the right people, it could really move them. I've heard stories from veterans from this field saying they would be in the wings watching the audience and seeing tears streaming down the faces of salesmen and managers. Just the feeling that somebody gets it, somebody knows what we're up against out there in the field. These songs were made for a very particular time and place, but some of them can still resonate today. There's one from the Detroit Diesel Engine show called One Man Operation, sung by a woman who is recounting how her husband was the sole proprietor of this diesel engine business and he was running himself ragged. Work days, holidays, they all became the same. 18 hours every 24. 50 years later, People who have no connection with this world of what the company was doing still can feel that human drama coming out of these songs when they're done right. The thing that is the most surprising is just how objectively incredible some of this musicianship is. I mean, even the one that's real creepy about sell, 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 or, you know. <laughs> or you'll go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> even that one is, it reminds me of just an incredible, you know, Broadway musical. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting though, because I had that discussion with Steve, which is, can corporate art be art? I think we're at the point in history where we don't automatically disqualify something from respect just because of its commercial origins. I tell people, for example, that Michelangelo did not paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling because it was a hobby or a passion project, although he may have been passionate about it. He was doing a corporate messaging gig for the most powerful corporation in the world. Sadly, Sid Siegel passed away in 2015 and Hank Beebe died in 2023. But Steve is grateful that he got to know them and that he could bring some attention to their work while they were still alive. These people became my friends and mentors and in some cases even collaborators. They got to look back from a different perspective on their own careers and it was a great vindication for them. Sometimes someone like Hank or Sid would say, you know, until you came around, I hadn't listened to that Ford truck show or whatever in 40 years, and I pulled it out last night. It was very good, wasn't it? And now people who weren't born when any of that happened are listening to the General Electric Silicones songs or the diesel engine songs and thinking, this is crazy, but it's also really very good. 
and he just never thought that there would be any respect. And it felt great to see that respect coming in for these folks. So what happened to the industrial musical? Why isn't your company commissioning one for your next sales meeting? It ran pretty well for several decades. I would say by the early 80s, it was no longer a novelty. And you had a different generation of people in the workforce who did not necessarily grow up thinking musical theater was cool. So you had some rock and roll industrials and disco. Good morning, dance fans, and welcome again to 79 Fever, the world's first sales meeting with a disco beat. There's not one other office furniture manufacturer that hustled through 1978 the way we did. But the wheel was turning, and the golden age, I call it, was really done by the mid-80s. I immediately think that it must be a million times easier just to bring in an established artist instead of making a whole production from scratch. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's probably what they do now, right? Like Beyonce will do a private corporate gig. Yeah. I I saw like a clip from somebody's cell phone of Kevin Hart doing something for the Walmart corporate event. Well, right now, man, I want to say good morning, Walmart. Good morning. Wow. In the modern era, industrial musicals are critically endangered, but they're not totally extinct. It continued into the 21st century and has never completely gone away. I know State Farm Insurance has continued to do big musicals every couple of years. So Walmart did one in the early 2000s, which I am desperate to listen to, but do not have any evidence of online, sadly. See, because somebody at Walmart went, there's this thing called the internet that's really blowing up. (laughs) And maybe we just keep it right here. We don't record it. Yeah. After Bathtubs Over Broadway came out, some of these companies started reaching out to Steve. I did one not too long ago where a production company said, we think we can convince this pharmaceutical company to do a musical opening number at their big sales meeting. Would you be interested in working on that? And I said, you bet I would. I've been training for 25 years for it. Industrial musicals were almost lost forever, but Steve has now ensured that they can be discovered and enjoyed by an entirely new generation. So why has he put so much hard work into preserving this forgotten corner of pop culture? Because these shows were so ephemeral, they were really meant for one specific time and place, and it had such a short shelf life, nobody thought it had any value beyond that one event. And I said, I think it does have value. Maybe I'm a a weirdo. Well, we're quite sure I am, actually, but I think There's something even more beautiful about these things because they are so unselfconsciously of a moment for a purpose and yet are made with great craft and precision. And so I just love that they exist and that I found them and that I I am still listening to them decades after they were supposed to be forgotten.
20,000 Hertz is produced out of the sound design studios of DeFacto Sound. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was written and produced by Amelia Tate. It was story edited by Casey Emerling. With help from Grace East. It was sound designed and mixed by Brandon Pratt. And Jesus Arteaga. Thanks to our guest, Steve Young. These days, Steve tours the country doing shows that include live music, storytelling, and exclusive clips from long-lost industrial musicals. Learn more at steveyoungworld.com. In the show notes, you can find links to Bathtubs Over Broadway, as well as three albums of these crazy songs. And if you know someone who would get a kick out of this episode, then tap that share button. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.